This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second reading of scripture is taken from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Again, verses that I'm sure are very familiar to all of us. But let us listen again uh, to this Christmas story as we find it in Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, before they were together, he was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he said to the angel of the Lord, he said he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son and he named him Jesus. This is the reading of the Lord's word. Thanks be to God. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, we are so grateful for this opportunity we have to gather together this morning. We pray that you will guide and direct all that we do and all that we say, that it might be to your glory. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. As you know, there was a lot of interest recently in a mysterious 10 to 12 foot tall metal monolith that showed up in the southeastern part of Utah very recently, within the last month or whatever it was. This sleek silver structure inspired curiosity worldwide as to where this monolith came from. Who put it there? And as you may recall, there were a number of theories that were put forth as to its origin. And one theory that was put forth that was not obviously taken very seriously is that it was placed there by aliens from another planet. The Bureau of Land Management, which is tasked with managing the property that the monolith showed up on, joked uh, that the illegally installed object may have been left by some extraterrestrial of some sort. Well, if it was left there by someone from outer space, they apparently left a lot of them all over. Soon after the monolith disappeared in Utah, remember they saw these three or four men during the night come and whisk it away. 
Um, soon after it disappeared, they started showing up in other places. One I know was in Oregon and other places. And as far as Romania, around the world, in Romania of all places. And the mayor of the city of Romania, where another monolith showed up, made this comment. He said, there is no reason to panic for those who think this is still, for those who think there is still life in the universe. My guess is that some alien teenagers left home with their parents' UFO and started planting metal monoliths around the world, first in Utah and then here in Romania. And he finished by saying this. He said, I am honored that they chose our city. Another story that was also in the news during the same time period that you may have missed uh, was the decommissioning and dismantling of the famous Arcebo radio telescope that is located in Puerto Rico. The massive Arcebo telescope and observatory has been used for 57 years and has been used by astronomers and astrophysicists and planet scientists to find out if there is anything out there in the universe. They look for pulsars and galaxies and all kinds of objects in our solar system. And the Arcebo telescope has been described by some as like a giant ear attentive to the heavens, a giant ear attentive to the heavens. It listened night and day for any kind of noise throughout the universe. Early on, it was used primarily for listening to find out if there is indeed any alien life out there. 46 years ago, two astronomy professors from Cornell University, one of whom was Dr. Carl Sagan, a name you might recognize, famously sent out a radio message out into the universe using the Acebo uh, telescope and the message they sent included all kinds of information about human life and human beings and human society, just in case aliens might be out there and just in case they might be listening. And according to the research associate, one of the research associates who was there at the time this message was, was sent out, uh, he said that the official reason that Frank Drake and Carl Sagan uh, sent this message was to draw attention to the power of the telescope and to show that they can actually do it. He downplayed the part about sending out information, hoping some aliens might hear it. But frankly, I wonder if the real reason they didn't send out this message, they sent out it, this message was because they really did want to find out, is anyone out there? Is anyone out there? I remember one scientist saying that the likelihood of finding anything significant through these kinds of programs is about the same likelihood of finding dinosaur bones, bones in your backyard. In other words, not very likely. Now, I don't know, I found a bunch of dinosaur bones in our backyard, so um, haven't you? I mean, you know, I don't know. Another astronomer was quoted as saying this. He said, I think the chances are very small of finding anything, but you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start somewhere. 
Now, these news stories caught my attention because it seems to me that many people today are asking similar kinds of questions. Is anyone out there? Is there anyone who knows or cares that we are here? Is there anyone out there who can help us with pandemics and wars and injustice and human pain and suffering? Is there anyone there? Maybe some of you on this Zoom worship service this morning are asking similar kinds of questions. Well, if you are, then I have good news for you. Because what we celebrate at Christmas, and really all throughout the year, is the simple truth that there is indeed someone out there. God is out there. But here is the even more amazing thing. Not only is God out there, but more importantly, the birth of Jesus tells us that he is actually turned up right here in our world, in our midst, in the birth of a helpless baby in a tiny town called Bethlehem. In this very familiar scripture passage that we read just a moment ago from Matthew chapter one, Matthew tells us in verse 20 that an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus. And then Matthew adds that this will happen to fulfill what the Lord said through his prophets centuries before, and especially through the prophet Isaiah, where he says, look, the virgin, virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This word Emmanuel was first used by the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament at a time when God's people, the Israelites, were very fearful of their enemies, and they were fearful of their future, and they were struggling with many difficulties and issues and problems. And God sent the prophet Isaiah to assure them that God is with them and will deliver them. When you read through the Old Testament, as Debbie and I have been doing, we've now just finished Second Chronicles, or are we still in Second Chronicles? Maybe we're still there. Nehemiah. Oh, we're in Nehemiah. Okay. We're, we're, we're just about through Nehemiah. And uh, when you read through the Old Testament, you realize God was with his people and many times did deliver them, sometimes, usually, oftentimes, even when they didn't deserve it. They kept sinning, and they kept wandering away, and they kept doing things that God didn't want them to do. Debbie and I keep looking at ourselves and say, oh, no, they're going to do it again. Don't they ever learn? It's just amazing uh, after you, when you read through the whole story. But this Emmanuel, the son of the virgin, became the watchword of God's people. It became the word of hope that no matter how desperate things became for them, God was where, there with them. God was there to help them. Emmanuel was the promise that one day God would visit his people in a unique and very special way 
in a way that he had never done before. And that is what we read about in Matthew chapter 1. The God who was out there has now come right here in the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus is a very emphatic statement that we are not alone. It is a tangible demonstration that God loves us so much that he came into our world to become one of us or as one of us. Amazing when you think about that, isn't it? In order to, as the angel says in verse 21, save his people from their sins. The Greek name Jesus comes from the Hebrew word Joshua, which means he saves. And that's why Jesus came. And while many people are still watching and waiting for someone out there to show up, Matthew assures us that we need not look any further. Someone already is here with us. Somebody already, somebody very important has already arrived. I think I've shared with you before um, uh, that when I was a young kid growing up in Idaho, I always longed for the arrival of my grandparents at Christmas. Even though we always knew that they were going to be coming sometime during the Christmas season, we never knew exactly when they were gonna come. My mother would never tell us when my grandparents were coming because she knew we would get too excited and wouldn't sleep, which of course never happened. Um, but uh, she knew we were gonna be all wound up and so she wouldn't tell us exactly when they were coming, but we knew they were coming soon. My grandfather worked for the railroad. And so when they came, it was always late at night or very early in the morning. That's when the train came through town. My youngest brother, Dave and I, who shared the same bedroom, always can tell, could tell when our grandparents had arrived during the night because our pillows would be gone when we woke up in the morning. Apparently in those days, our family did not have enough pillows to go around, and especially when somebody else came. So our pillows would disappear during the night. But here is the thing. It didn't bother us at all that our pillows were gone when we woke up, because it was a sure sign that someone very special to us had finally arrived, had finally come. And we were so excited. See, the birth of Jesus also reminds us that someone very special has come. The great God of the universe, the mighty Lord of heaven and earth, the one who made you and me and all things has now arrived in Jesus. As Sarah mentioned last Sunday in her sermon from John 1.14, she said, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. I like the way this is translated in uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message. He says, uh, Jesus came and he pitched his tent among us. What a great image. Debbie and I like to go camping, you know, in a campground. And, and what, what uh, John is saying here is that Jesus came and he pinch, pitched his tent in our campground. Amazing. He became flesh in order to rescue us from the destructive power of sin, that sin that binds and separates us 
from God. He came to reconnect us to ourselves and to one another, and especially reconnect us to God so that we might have life and have it abundantly. He came to give us the help we need as we face pandemics, as we face injustice, as we face difficulties and hardships and sufferings, whatever it is we face, just like the Israelites did in their time. He came to give us a future and a hope. And because Jesus is both God and man, he has the ability to do that which no one else can do. But the most amazing thing about it is not only did he come to save us from our sins, but he also came to enter into a relationship with us. And yet so many people are reluctant today to enter into a relationship with him. Some years ago, I heard a Christian woman named Mary Crowley speaking on the radio. She was an author and she had written a number of Christian books, including one called Pocket Full of Hope. And Pocket Full of Hope is a book of devotions, Christian devotions for the family. And in the radio program, Crowley describes some of the people that she met when she would have her book signings, her book signing tours. And she said one time as she was autographing her book, a very attractive woman came uh, with a copy of Mary's book. She was very well dressed and she came up to Mary and she shoved the book in Mary's face and she said, make it out to my friend. I'm not into that. She said, she's into that. Make it out to my friend. She's into that. And Mary said, she looked at the woman and replied, she's into what? And this woman responded, she's into religion. That's a book about religion, isn't it? Mary said she looked the woman straight in the eye. She said, no, it's not a book about religion. It's a book about a relationship with the living God. Mary said the tears started rolling down her face, this woman's face. Tears started rolling down her face. And after a few moments when she composed herself, she finally said to Mary, on second thought, better make it out to me. I don't have that. I don't have that. Do you have that? That relationship with the living God? See, the good news of Christmas is that we can have that. This is what Christmas really is all about. Matthew suggests to us that Christmas is not about religion, but it's about a relationship. That is what Christ has come into our world to make available to you and to me and to everyone like the wise men who seek him. A relationship with the living God. Astronomers, astrophysicists, planetary scientists may be searching for someone out there and who knows? Maybe sometime they'll find someone. According to the article I read, Scientists have already thought about what they will do if they do discover some life out there. 
First of all, they would make sure that it was authentic. And if they determined that it was authentic, they said they would spread the good news all over the earth. That makes sense, doesn't it? Make sure it's real and then tell everyone. And in this birth narrative, Matthew makes clear to us that the most important one we need to be looking for is not out there somewhere, but already here, has already turned up, has already made contact, has already arrived in the person of Jesus. And we need to tell everyone. Matthew and the rest of the New Testament encourage us to make sure we fully receive and comprehend this tremendous good news for ourselves, first of all, and then, like the astronomers, share it with everyone. Jesus is waiting for us to let him into our hearts and our lives, maybe for the first time, maybe in a new way, maybe in a deeper way. Have you let Jesus into your heart? Are you letting him into your life? On this Sunday after Christmas, may we all give Jesus more access to our lives and to our hearts that we might become all that he is calling us to be and wants us to be. Let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Lord, that we need not look any farther, further for you, that you have already come. And you are right here, right next to us, right beside us. Even we read in us. And so we pray that you would help us to reach out to you and to love you and to let you work in us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.